I am recording this introduction today on Thursday, May 6th, and by now, you have probably heard about the worsening COVID crisis that's happening in India as we speak. As of Thursday, India reported its highest ever 24-hour surge in COVID-19 cases and a record high daily death toll. Now, whether you are connected to India or not, India is one of the largest democracies of the world. and. They are experiencing a huge amount of human suffering. What's happening there on ground is something that I just cannot even fathom. But I have heard from family and friends there that it is bad. It is as bad as we read it, if not worse. The damages of this are going to be experienced for decades to come. But right now, they need our help and they need access to resources as quickly as possible. If I could please request you to consider donating five, ten, fifteen, twenty dollars, whatever you're called to, that would mean the world to me and it will really really go a long way especially since one dollar one u.s dollar equals about 75 indian rupees i have attached a few donation links to the show notes of this show uh Hamekund foundation khalsa aids foundation the sai foundation give india these are a few great websites that you can consider to supporting again anything you do every little thing goes such a long way thank you so much for considering Welcome to Always Aligning with your host, Ashika. This podcast is dedicated to soulful conversations with women that are living with intentionality and committed to personal development and self-growth. Join me as I dive deep with guests who are entrepreneurs, creatives, moms, professionals, and multifaceted women as we unpack what it means to live in alignment. I speak with women who have faced uncertainty, endured challenges, pivoted careers, embraced change, and continue to persevere while sharing their stories with vulnerability. Always Aligning is designed to inspire, uplift, and support you through your own journey of finding alignment. Welcome back to Always Aligning. This is your host, Ashika. So in today's episode, you are going to hear from a romance author. Now, when you think of romance author, you may think of, you know, all the warm fuzzies running around the trees, maybe love at first sight at the subway station or something like that. I guarantee you, you have no idea what's headed your way. Today's guest is Sienna Snow, a best-selling author, a South Asian female who published her first book after the age of 40 and specializes in writing romance slash erotic thrillers. Yes, you heard that right. She writes romantic novels that are infused with erotica, love, strong female characters, suspense, thriller, and well, books that are just going to leave you wanting a little bit more. Sienna is such an incredible female that I had the pleasure of connecting with on Clubhouse. And the minute I heard her story there, I knew I had to have her on the podcast and I had to dig into where this um, fascination came from and how she pursued this, you know, different, unique path, um, especially in, you know, the second phase of her life. So stay tuned for this episode. And as always, if you like what you hear, don't forget to hit that subscribe button, like, review, follow and share it with a friend. Sienna, welcome to Always Aligning. I am so excited for this conversation, especially because 
Everything we're about to dive into is so unique for me. I first heard you speak on a clubhouse room and I had to do a little bit of a double take, like just like wiggle my ears to make sure I heard what I heard correctly. Sienna, you are a author, a published author of erotic romance novels, a South Asian female who happened to also write and publish her first book after the age of 40. What is the typical reaction you receive when you tell people what you specifically do? They usually do a double take and then they look at me because, you know, I have this little sweet face and they're like, she writes that? And then, <laughs> you know, then they realize I'm a mom and a wife and then they just kind of, I, I don't fit what they view as what would be an erotic romance writer. And when you... um when you try to explain exactly what it is that an erotic romance writer writes, can you paint a little bit of a picture of what that exactly means? Um, It means that I um, have a story arc, like it's a, it's a love story, but where most people shut the door when it comes to sexual situations, I leave the door open and I show where a couple can actually enjoy sexual situations where the female owns her sexuality and the partner um, joins in and actually wants to make their partner enjoy sex. I think this is a great segue for me to just um, uh, paint a little bit further of a picture of what we refer to when we talk about um, erotic romance. I actually had the pleasure of reading your novel a couple of weeks ago um, in the series, uh, Master of Secrets. And can I just say, wow, wow. <laughs> <laughs> it was my my uh, vacation read for a weekend. And I was just, I was, I was fully committed into this story. So um, here's a little teaser. Without thinking, I obeyed, and he pushed my fingers through my soaked slit, rolling my clit. Too bad this beautiful pussy of yours is off limits for my cock. I would have reveled in losing myself in your tight, sweet cunt. My legs grew weak as my pussy contracted, aching for release. Please, I have to come. Let me come. Now, of course, this is one of the saucier parts of your Mm -hmm. book, but this is this is erotic romance. It's erotic and it's romantic. When did you first discover your passion for this specific niche? Um, I just started reading a lot of steamier stuff, um, probably in my 20s. I always loved romance. I've been reading romance since I was in my teens. When my um, one of my girlfriend's in my Catholic school, actually, gave me a romance novel. And she's like, oh, you should read this. And we hid it from the nuns that taught it, taught us at school. And I started reading and my mind was blown. And then when I went to college, I started reading this more steamier stuff and I just liked it. And that's where I kind of veered off into. And when I started writing, I just enjoyed it because I felt like women should own their sexuality. Now, your background is uh, that you grew up in a conservative household. Now, coupled with uh, your education in also a conservative institution, do you think it was this kind of double entendre of conservatism that also piqued your interest? Like it was one of those taboo things that like girls are not supposed to read and now you've gotten your hands on it and you're really excited to know what it's about. I've always kind of been a little bit of like always wanting to push the boundaries. Um, Mm -hmm. I had to 
because I was first generation here in the U.S. and I had I was the eldest, so I always had to set the example and always did all those things. And so there, in the back of my mind, I was like, okay, I like this stuff, so I'll keep it to myself for now. Uh-huh. And then I just decided I was like, you know what, I'm going to just start pushing the boundaries more and more because I'm old. I'm an adult now. I don't need to follow into these these like you know these uh these roles that everybody has set for me. And that's why I decided to just go go for it and own what I enjoy. I love that so much. I I know women in general, I mean many of us, but women in general, especially South Asian women, we struggle so much owning our identity and what it is that we like. When did you decide to kind of affirm that this is what you wanted to do? And when you made that decision, how did you, if at all, share the news with your families? Um, so I always wanted to be a writer. So in uh, college, I, uh, when you're in college, you have to take these regular, those writing classes, those 101 uh-huh. classes. And I had a creative writing class. And when I took it, I realized I loved it. It was just like, an easy A class. And I just had this crazy mind that I could write all this stuff. And I broached the subject kind of like carefully with my parents. And my parents were like, hell no, you cannot (laughs) do this. You either become a a doctor or a lawyer or go into finance or something that will make me money. And so because I was, I was the eldest of all my cousins, my siblings, everybody, I had to do the set the example. So I put that on the back burner. But then when I got into at the end of my 30s, close to my 40s, my husband was just like, why didn't you do this? Because on our first date, he remembered me saying I wanted to write. And he was just like, you can do it now. Who's who cares? And so I went for it. And that's kind of and he knew what I like to write because I've I'm very open with him he knows that I like all the dirty stuff (laughs) it seems like you both aligned right away almost on your first date it's so Mm -hmm. nice to hear that you just met this man and he was able to um see the spark you know with what you love to do when you spoke about it and encouraged you to do that but so college happened and and you had to push this desire behind you, were you still kind of writing in your in your free time and pursuing that? Or it was just something you pushed to the back of your mind? I I wrote a little bit, but then life happens and work happens. And I went into a field where I was one of the few females that were mm-hmm. really in, you know, what we would consider top dogs in finance because it was a what very, was um, I was a financial management consultant. And I was in mergers and acquisitions. And so it was a very male dominated field. And Mm -hmm. I loved my job, but it was very high pressure. And as a female in that role, it was just like I had to focus on that. And at the time, my husband was doing residency and um, at in in the hospitals and stuff. And so I was the breadwinner. So, you know, you just you would you're in the hustle game. And until it was time for me to stop that. I didn't have a t- chance to just even think about writing. I just read because while I was traveling or I'd read, that was my mm-hmm. pleasure. Mm-hmm. And then I'd always in the back of my mind, create stories in my head when I was just kind of relaxing, but I never wrote anything down. It was just kind of like, I want to do it. I want to do it, but I never did anything about it until I got close to my forties. And then I was like, you know what? I want to do this. And what was that catalyst moment as you got closer to your 40s that pushed you over the edge and you said, I'm ready to deep dive? 
and pursue my path. There was a book and I can't even remember what book it was. It was it was kind of like I just picked it up and I and it was from the library and this the author she made it so that the woman that was in there she enjoyed her that her enjoying her sexuality was something wrong with her. And that really upset me that mm. you know there was her enjoying sex made her feel like she, there was something wrong with her the character. And I was just like that is wrong. A woman should not feel guilty for enjoying sex. It's okay for men to enjoy sex but not women and I got Absolutely. Angry. Say it louder for the people in the back. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and so I got really angry and then my husband was literally like well stop bitching and write something. <laughs> <laughs> I like your husband. He seems like a really cool and supportive man. And yeah. he he never he never flinched. He never mm -hmm. flinches about what it is you write and what it is you do. No. He he actually finds it funny that he's like I'm the research department. Like that he jokes about <laughs> it. <laughs> does he does he ever kind of have to um does he ever get any backlash of and comments are are you and both of you uh facing any sort of judgment and negativity from from your peer groups and strangers alike? People make comments, but we're the type of couple that we roll with the punches because we're just used to it. I live in the South and people make comments about all kinds of stuff. Mm -hmm. Um everything from race to, you know, just our ethnicity, you know, things like that. So I grew up with that kind of attitude and I know how to handle it. So when I have to deal with this kind of what I write, people are like, oh, is it like, you know, is it 50 shades -esque? And I was like, well, I have consent. You know, that's all I just say. That's mm -hmm. about the main thing. And people laugh about it and then they'll make, you know, side comments. And I'm just like, you know, whatever. It doesn't bother me because people don't, aren't educated in this situation or they feel uncomfortable because yeah. most people make comments when they, are themselves are not owning who they are. Yeah. Based on all of the reading that you've done of books in the similar genre um, and, and maybe some research you've done as well, what is it about sex and expressing sex, especially for women, that is still so taboo uh, in our society, in your opinion? I feel that it has to do with the patriarchy. Mm -hmm. Um there's all these things about women and our roles that have been placed on us. And then, you know, and then women took it on and then put it on their daughters because these roles that we took. And so we create generation after generation of repression mm -hmm. and, you know, guilt and these things. And with this new generation, we want to break those cycles. Because I don't want my daughter to ever think that there's something wrong with her wearing a swimsuit or her feeling beautiful. Just, you know, she asked me, you know, if, can I have a boyfriend? And I was like, as long as he treats you well, that's the main thing. You need to have right. someone that treats you well. Right. And that's what I want her to understand. And so I think owning our own sexuality is a beautiful part of life. Right. Have you um, kind of had that conversation with your daughter about how she can own her sexuality? I did. Um, we discussed sex and she knows exactly what sex is. I ended up having a daughter that's very conservative compared to her mother. Like it's just, she just is, that's just her personality. And, uh -huh. and when 
and I'm very open with her. So she needs to ask a question about her body. I will tell her the truth. So if she's always come freely to me where when I had my first cycle, I didn't know what happened to me. My mother didn't even tell me about it. So I thought I was bleeding to death because that's oh how naive I was. And so, uh, and a nun at my Catholic school had to tell me what was happening to me because my mother never talked to me about it. Wow. And, and so it was such a traumatic for me at that time. So I was like, I refuse to do that for my daughter. And I'm so honest with my daughter. And I told her that, you know, I explained to her, sex is something beautiful, but you don't want to give it up to someone who's not going to appreciate you. Mm -hmm. You want someone who's going to cherish you. Someone's going to treat you well. Mm -hmm. And, you know, and so she was just like, yeah, you know, and I was like, you know, when you're younger, you think it's going to be fun. And, but I was like, not every guy is going to treat you the w way you want to be treated. Make sure that, you know, when you have sex, it's with someone that appreciates you, cherishes you. Mm -hmm. And are these ideals represented in the female characters that you write? Because I, I asked this, for example, when I have read erotic romance in the past or even think of it, I think there's this vision that comes up and it's probably painted by the paperback covers of, you know, this, the man with his um, uh, backless shirt and his like mm -hmm. strong back. And he's, he's always over a woman. And it always feels like in, in these stories and books, it's about the female being dominated mm -hmm. versus the female kind of asserting her wish. So I'm just curious if you are able to represent these ideals in the stories that you write as well and, and reframe the narrative of a female owning her sexuality. I feel like in most of my stories, there's you always want an alpha male, but you also want a female that owns her power mm -hmm. and a man that is comfortable with a female that owns her power. Because mm -hmm. there's something attractive about a man who accepts a woman as she is, doesn't try to change her. Yep. And so when a man is very strong in himself and confident in himself, he doesn't need to change his woman. He yep. doesn't need to dominate her in the sense of repress her. When in sexuality, if you want a man to dominate you, that's a sexual preference. That's a difference between domination in real life and repression versus sexual domination. That's a sexual preference. And so those are two different lines that don't, they don't overlap. You, you just said that so, so beautifully. And it's so true in terms of a man being secure in himself um, and allowing his partner to just be versus the sexual preference. And uh, it's interesting that it's interesting how you can convey that even in a book, you know, such as erotic romance. And um, I think it's just great that you're trying to reframe that narrative through that. And interestingly, so your characters are also South Asian, right? Mm -hmm. Most of my characters, yes. Is that common in this genre? No. Um, I wanted to have representation of someone that looks like me. Right. You know, if someone picks up a book and I wanted bits of my culture in my books right. and women like me or men like me, uh, men who are of South Asian descent. So like my new series, they're all men who are of South Asian descent. All and of them. So, 
Yeah, every single one in the new series is going to be, um, some are biracial and some are full um, South Asian. And so I just decided to create a series like that because I just want, I thought, okay, there's not a lot of men who are bi- uh, who are South Asian in, in romance books. So I'm going to try to do that. That's amazing. What is the name of the new series? Um, it's called Street Kings. And the newest book is um, um, Dangerous King. And when does that come out? Tomorrow. Oh, congratulations. (laughs) Well, I'm going to give the date for it because this episode is going to premiere a couple of weeks after we shoot. Mm -hmm. So it's releasing on March 31st. So by the time Mm -hmm. our listeners are reading, the book is already out, Street Kings. Yeah. And it's um, Dangerous King. Dangerous King. And you mentioned Mm -hmm. this is one of your favorite books that you've written until date. Yes. Could you tell us a little little sneak peek? Okay. Um, Dangerous King. um, So the reason I love this is that the hero is so strong and he is, it's kind of like I, I created my own criminal world and mm-hmm. it's a mafia-esque, but it's like these people who live between the world of mafia and the world of the legitimate man. And they're, they're, they're kind of like what you call the, the middleman between them. And they do favors between the two worlds so that mm-hmm. they don't have to interact. And so they, it's like this other criminal world. And then my heroine is a hacker. And the story is between the two, um, the hero and heroine is that they're star-crossed lovers. Mm-hmm. They grew up in this poor neighborhood and then they were separated. And it's their love story of coming back together. And it's just like, I love their story. My heroine is so strong and she's just a vicious heroine. I just love her so much. This sounds so fun. I'm... Mm-hmm probably going to dive into it this weekend. Mm-hmm. The last time I read your book, I just, I literally just swallowed it up in two days. Where, what is the best place um, our listeners can, can purchase and read this? It's actually on all platforms, any Amazon, Nook, um, Apple, anywhere it's available. Perfect. Dangerous mm-hmm. King. Well, congratulations so much on your, mm-hmm. on your launch. And that's Thank really you. exciting. I, I actually just want to go back to previous bits of our conversation where you spoke about, um, uh, the period incident where mm-hmm. you said you you didn't know what was happening um, and and you didn't get that support kind of even from an education perspective with your family. I am so deeply curious to know how your your mom and your mom in law um, speak about the work that you do to their peer set. How does how does that dynamic work? So my mother in law she knows I'm a writer, but I think she like kind of throws blinders on to mm-hmm. not really focus on what kind of writing I do. Mm-hmm. She just says like, Oh, you know, she writes. And so when she tells her friends, Oh, she's a writer. That's about all she says. My mom, on the other hand, she'll buy my books, but she will never read them. She just told me I buy them. I put them on my shelf, but they're all like naked men. So I won't read them. <laughs> <laughs> and does that, does that ever kind of impact your self-confidence? No, because I know my mom, she loves me to pieces. And I, I give my mom grace because she came from such a, my grandparents are amazing people, but they were so conservative, like ultra, ultra conservative. And my mom picked up all the, you know, all the baggage from my grandmother. Mm. And my mom grew up with that baggage and my mom still carries that. And she, And because of that, I carried some of that baggage, but I was able to break free of that baggage because I ended up in America 
And I ended up with amazing friends and I broke free and I became a bit of a feminist and I owned my feminism. Mm. And she didn't have that support. Right. And so I give her grace. And so because she she finds it fun and she's happy that I do this, she just can't break free of her own constraints to read. You give your mother grace. Mm-hmm. Uh, are you a, are you a spiritualist? Yeah, I am. Yeah, yeah I am Sounds actually. Like I am. Um, I consider myself a Christ follower. I actually, um, my parents are Hindu, and I am. Um, I consider myself Christ follower. So, like, I, I converted on my own with my husband later in life. And, but I, it's different. Like I don't say I'm Christian, but I say I'm a Christ follower because there's a difference between the two. Okay. What mm-hmm. is the difference? I feel like, um, Christianity is institutionalized mm-hmm. and it has all these restrictions and laws and rules. And when you actually follow and being a Christ follower means you follow what Christ did and his examples and his teachings because that's what you're supposed to do he in the bible what he said in his teachings as you know as the son of god and so that's what i believe in got it okay i don't believe in the rules of man i believe in that so that's beautiful hey mm-hmm. whatever whatever makes your heart sing right that's yeah. important that's important because i i don't believe in judgment of other people I don't believe in judgment of people because, you know, I have my parents are Hindu and I love them to pieces. My in-laws are Hindu and I respect everybody's beliefs. So that's the big thing for me. Like if there's judgment, then I'm not okay with it. Sienna, you are you are on a path. You have been churning out books. You are creating the life of your dreams. Where um, where do you find the strength to keep dreaming? Baker for yourself? And and how do you execute that? And and what is the next big dream? My next big dream, um, I put it out into the universe and, you know, hopefully the universe will, you know, see fit that it's, you know, everything's in its own time, but I would love something like a series or something to come up of my books. One of my series, one of my book series to turn into some maybe a movie or maybe a TV series. That's just, Mm -hmm. I put it out into the universe. And, you know, I always say from my lips to God's ears or someone else says it, you know. I love to say that too. Because I just, it's just something and I have it on my vision board and I see it every day and I'm like, okay, it's going to happen. It's going to happen. Hello, Netflix. Are you listening? Exactly. (laughs) But it's just kind of like, I feel like if I dream it and I'm, believe it's going to happen, it will happen. Absolutely. You're mm-hmm. going to will it. Yes. And did you, did you will this for yourself? Was there ever a moment where you sat there and said, I know someday, even while you were in this busy, high powered corporate job where you said, I can create this reality for myself and I know it's going to happen. I always wanted to be a writer. So I knew it was going to happen. Like eventually I would sit down to write and I, I drew, even if it was going to be 80 years old, I would still, I would write. Yeah. Cause I, I'm one of those people that if I'm determined, nothing's going to stop me. That's amazing. I'm, I'm seeing a pattern every time I interview someone on, on my show thus far, everyone always tells me, I, I knew I was going to do this. I knew this was the right thing for me. And I feel like intuitively many of us do. And either we learn to 
tap into that and lean into the calling that we feel within us, or we resist and resist and, you know, perhaps don't find the happiness that we're seeking or the the fulfillment from the work that we're seeking. But when everything aligns together um, and our purpose and our calling manifests into the life that we're living, everything just becomes easier, right? And more, more, more simpler. So when I turned, I wasn't ready before I turned 40. I was mm-hmm. trying to do everything for my family. My husband and I were working. We were just trying to hustle game. And then when I, around my forties, I think everything just aligned correctly. Mm-hmm. My children were older. I had time to write and then just things happened. I got my agent. I got my uh, deal. I got, then I was able to start doing indie publishing and things just worked out. It's just, I think it was the right time, the right place for me. It was the power of passion with patience meets timing, right? And then as you said, things started working out because there was momentum. You take, you take one step and when it's the right time, the universe will support you and take, help you with those other step two, three, four, right? And it just keeps going from there. Exactly. What is one piece of advice you'd like to share to anyone that's listening that A, either uh, wants to pursue a path that's, you know, clearly off the beaten path like you did, or two, to anyone that feels like they've missed the boat? Because this feeling of missing the boat, I mean, it's something I even experienced in my late 20s, right? And now at 34, I'll I'll look back and say, well, I was so young then. Why did I feel that way? And, um, Age is just a number. We all know that. It's an old saying, but we forget it. So what is some uh, some advice you can offer for these two specific things? If there's something that you truly want to do, nothing will stop you. And age will not stop you. Time will not stop you. If you're determined, do it. Mm. I know authors that published their first book when they were six, in their 60s, and then they killed it. Margaret Atwood didn't publish her first book until she was in her 40s. And then she didn't get her deal with Hulu for her series until she was in her 70s. Think about that. Mm. You know, she's an amazing, you know, feminist icon. So if she can do get this multi-million dollar deal in her 70s, I'm like, okay, there's no time. Time is, time is just a number. You know, you can do anything at any age. This is your host, Ashika, and you are listening to Always Aligning, the podcast. If you liked what you heard today, go ahead and hit that subscribe button, like, leave a review, and share it with a friend. We are going to be back here next Thursday for a solo episode. I've had so many requests of taping a solo episode, and you know what? Now's the time to do it. So come back here next week to hear a little bit more about my story, my journey with finding alignment, and as always, I would love any and all of your feedback. Do you have a guest you want me to feature? Do you want me to shake things up? Any specific topic you're curious about? Let me know. You can email me at hello at ashika.com. My email is also on the show notes or DM me on Instagram. See you next week, guys. Bye.